And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3.30. Stay tuned next for Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up darkness from the ones who walk in light light them up boys there's your picture drop the shadows out of This is Jennifer Stone with Stone Throw, and we're coming up on St. Patrick's Day. Today is the 15th, the Ides of March, but I'm not Caesar, no problem. <laughs> the 17th is St. Patrick's Day. Ah, that old patriarch Patrick. Yes, we do love him. Today, I have a little book called Wild Irish Roses, and I think that the author is probably, oh, I don't know, she she lives in San Francisco, and she should be on her way here. If she pops in in the middle of this show, uh, we'll be glad to see her. Perhaps she turned on the radio and thought that, uh, that uh, things weren't happening here. But, of course, we're back on the air. It's Trina Robbins. Trina Robbins wrote a book called Wild Irish Roses, Tales of... Uh, Kathleen's, Bridget's, and Warrior Queen's. And I thought it would be perfect, just perfect for St. Patrick's Day. Maybe, maybe I will save it for another day, but I do want to talk about Irish women. I have lots of good things for you. This book, let's see, part one before Patrick, Warrior Goddesses and Warrior Queens. Ah, the Morrigan, yes. And the bird women and all the fairy tales and the mythic women, uh, they were more myth than reality, folks, but, um, the reality was, that was heavy duty, yes, uh, uh, uh I'm only half Irish and the worst half at that. My father is, uh, was, uh, his people were from County Kerry. Um, in the second part of her book, she talks about, um, the the ways in which the pagan goddesses morphed, you know, into Christian saints. Uh, she talks about saints and sinners and then about real women. Everyone from Maud Gunn to uh, the mother of Oscar Wilde. If I have time today, I'll read you a little bit about Speranza. Speranza means hope. Speranza was the mother of Oscar Oscar Wilde's 150th birthday happened the other day. They even had a television tribute to him. It was rather irritating. It was just a fundraiser, but all the actors you can think of came uh, came on the tube, and all they did was quote his uh, epigrams. It, I suppose it's better than not mentioning him at all, but it made me angry. Anyway, among the other real folks, let's see, there's... 
Mother Jones, and um, hmm, Lola Montez. Actually, that was Betty Thomas was her name, but she was a she was an Irish. She was an Irish beauty who cast herself as a Spanish dancer called Lola Montez. She's one of my favorite adventuresses. I like the adventuresses best. The most uh, serious, most interesting is Lady Gregory, the one who uh, got the Abbey Theatre started in Ireland. Uh, she's my pick for the Irish woman who, well, she was in love with Yeats, but she couldn't compete with Maud Gunn. I think today, what I want to do... Uh, there's a chance, of course, that Trina's going to turn up. So I want to tell you something. It's a kind of a kind of an anti anti disclaimer thing. I want to tell you something about Margaret Mitchell. Uh, here, in Wild Irish Roses. Trina's last entry is about the single American beauty uh, Irish rose, which would be Scarlett O'Hara, a mythic or fictional uh, heroine. Uh, the heroine of Gone with the Wind. Now, of course, let's see. Vivian Lee was French, I think French, and possibly Irish. I'm not sure. But what I'd like to tell you about is the real life of Margaret Mitchell, the woman who wrote Gone with the Wind. Uh, I think she sold the book to David Selznick, yes, for $50,000, according to my margin notes here. And, of course, you know that it went on to make about 7,000 times as much as a film as it, did as, a pla- as it did as her book. It's kind of grim. Uh, you know, like Jane Austen, I think. Um, I forget what she got for each of the books. I remember Charlotte Bronte got 500 pounds uh, for each book. You know, they just sold them outright. Um <laughs> It is to break your heart. But what I want to tell you about today is about the romance addiction of dear Margaret Mitchell, who, of course, um, was born long before um, modern, the present modern-day notions of feminism. Uh, and uh, she died early. She was 49. She got hit by a car in Atlanta. Foolish way to depart this life, but... She was obviously full of contradictions, Margaret Mitchell. And this heroine she created, this Irish adventurous Scarlett O'Hara, was more myth than reality. There was a real Rhett Butler. Uh, The book is incredibly autobiographical, but of course, you see, it's her lies and denial that tell us the real story. Who is it says that when you write fiction, you lie and lie and lie till we see the truth? (laughs) All the things in Gone with the Wind were present in Margaret Mitchell's life. Um, Mitchell, of course, um, uh, was living in the society of the ni- 1930s and into the 40s. Uh, of course, she was, um, uh, what's the word, trapped. She was trapped in Southern, uh, Southern Bell-ism. Uh, let me read you part of an essay by a friend of mine called Carolyn Gage. Um, Carolyn writes wonderful, wonderful feminist tracts. And the point in this essay is that Red Butler was really a guy called Red Upshaw. He put Margaret Mitchell in the hospital for two weeks. <laughs> and she had to carry a pistol with her for the rest of her life. Uh, in any case, let me tell you a little bit about uh, Margaret Mitchell. 
She was, uh, first of all, a battered wife. She kept her first marriage a secret from the press because the court records uh, for the divorce contained a harrowing account of her husband's attempted rape. Uh, it was a graphic account which is wildly at odds with the famous marital rape scene that provides the dramatic climax of the romance between Scarlett O'Hara and Rhett Butler in Mitchell's famous novel. You remember that scene. Uh, <laughs> I've always loved the morning after, you remember, with Vivian Lee curled up in bed, uh, happy as a little kitten uh, after this night of uh, ferocious sexual passion. And then, of course, Rhett comes in and is nasty again, and the moment is lost, the moment when they just might, just might have reached out one to the other. It's the perfect tension for romance addicts, you know. It's always this, if only we understood each other, everything would have been fine. Uh, anyway, um, let's see. Uh, Mitchell's readers uh, could surrender themselves to the thrill and passion of this fictional account, uh, but not if they were to read about the real Rhett Butler, uh, this guy called Red Upshaw. He is called a jealous, violent alcoholic. Her assault left Peggy Mitchell hospitalized for two weeks. Uh, he was a bootlegger, right? Why the discrepancy between these two accounts? Because Peggy Mitchell belonged to a society that attached more importance to myth than to reality. Uh, kind of like ours, right? <laughs> a society that was deeply invested in glossing over the horrors of its recent history of slavery, just for the sake of glorifying a romantic epoch that never existed. You remember, at the beginning of Gone with the Wind, there's this text on the screen, and it talks about this glorious day, this glorious day, uh, you know, uh, days of master and slave, the beautiful days that are now gone with the wind. The audience jumped up and cheered at that point, gone with the wind. Okay, I'm talking to you about Margaret Mitchell. And guess who's just come in the door? It's Trina. <laughs> Hello, Jennifer. <laughs> Hello, Trina. It's on. I I, right, to... it's on, dear. And I'm save. I'm going to save Margaret Mitchell. I, I had it here extra because I didn't want to start talking about your book, like, you know, without you here at my, at my, um, uh, Left hand, yes, well, my yeah, left I, hand. Yes. I just want to say one thing, and that is that San Francisco um, subway works wonderfully when it works. Uh-oh. It wasn't working. Well, you know, neither was the radio station. And I was thinking, <laughs> or sitting here thinking, oh, my gosh. I was thinking Trina turned on KPFA, and uh, it's only been back on the air for about half an hour. Oh. We were, you know, So we were off for a couple of hours, and I thought she just gave up and decided, never mind. Nope, the train this gave is, up. Right. This Tara and Other Lies Essays, folks, is by my friend Carolyn Gage, and I'm going to go back to it one day soon because it's fascinating. It's all about Margaret Mitchell's romance addiction and how she created this Irish heroine, you know, and, of course, uh, in her own life, um, as it says here, she was nothing but a battered wife, and she had a rough time of it. But uh, let's face it, um, myth is what we're made of, you know. Yes. We have to make it up. Now, your book, uh, I told everybody about your book a little bit, Wild Irish Roses, is full of both mythological and real women. Yes. I wanted to ask you first about m one of my most favorite 
because it's Oscar Wilde's 150th birthday last week. Lady Wilde, right. Speranza. And you see, it's my theory. A lot of writers, you know, uh, Mama. Well, writers, presidents, everybody, check out the mother. <laughs> you That's know, right. she was the one. Uh, of course, she she kept getting into trouble and going to court too. But you know, she didn't really mess things up as badly as Oscar did. Poor Oscar. Well, you know. His mother had faith in the judicial system. His friends told him to leave, to leave England. His mother said, no, stay and fight. Uh, and, of course, he was convicted. Yeah, and, of course, when she, well, she won her case. What was it? The the person who brought the oh, charges yes. got a farthing? This woman, one farthing. she won a farthing, yes. This woman who basically was stalking her husband, was, <laughs> was stalking Lord stalking, Wilde. Yeah, and said Oscar's that Lord father. Wilde had drugged and seduced her. <laughs> Yes, and she was awarded one farthing. Yes, That's you say right. which was all she was worth. No, it, it's it's a lovely little uh, little piece here. I I I took a picture of Speranza. Speranza means hope. Yes, right once, and I I remember thinking. Um, you know, that's the ideal maternal role. And I, I made a list of all these mothers. Uh, oh, uh, George Bernard Shaw's mother. Uh-huh. You know, she brought George Bernard Shaw to London and got him a job as a music critic, you know. But it seems that some of these, let's just call them androgynous male writers, you know, they really seem to need some female uh, what archetype or somebody somebody big and strong to give them give them a start? Oh, it's the women loving gay men, and of course, most gay men love women. It's it's kind of complicated, isn't it? Well, you know, I think it's rather ironic because you have so many heterosexual men who hate women. Yeah, this is yeah, this is what I mean. It's sort of, you know, it hurts my heart to think that, uh, you know, we can't have it both ways. I mean, why can't we have um, both? Uh, what is it both the the passionate um uh what is it sexual or sensual man you know oh it's just too complicated for me i psych <laughs> psychosexual problems up the wazoo tell us a little bit about how you came to write this book well, Jennifer, I'm a Celtophile. Um, I love all things Irish. I've been to Ireland at least four times. I keep forgetting whether it was four or five. I'm in love with Yeats. Um, I'm in love with Michael Collins. And uh, I researched all these women, so many of them who are, were connected with both Yeats and Michael Collins. It's mm -hmm. really interesting, that whole Irish Renaissance period. You mentioned the movie. I didn't get much out of the movie. What oh, really? You, the, the Michael Collins movie. I thought he made a very good Michael Collins. Yeah, he, he but was I was, fine. I was sorry that they left out Lady um, Hazel Lavery. Uh, I think that the yeah. filmmakers wanted Michael to be pure. Yeah, it, it just seemed like a boy's movie to me, you know. I, I go for things like Odd Man Out, in which, mm. you know, the Irish and, woman oh. takes him by the arm and walks him into the phalanx of police, and she says, you know, we're going home, Johnny, we're going home, oh. they all get died. Oh, yes, that's a beautiful, beautiful movie. I love that movie. That's the that's the Irish woman that I always see. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, she's in the O'Casey plays, in the Singh plays, and she's always... Far more heroic than, uh, and, and completely self-effacing. <laughs> yes, but Hazel Lavery is just a very interesting character, which is why I have her in the book. She, until Ireland went Euro, she was the watermark on the pound note. 
Uh, you you describe her beauty. I was thinking if I've seen. Are there any other pictures of her besides the one on the? Not in the book, but there were lots of. I, I've seen lots yeah. of beautiful paintings. He, her husband, Sir John Lavery, of course, was a very famous portrait artist, and he painted her over and over again. And it's it's really sad because the last painting he did of her was when she was in her last illness, and he never quite finished it, and she died. And then he did one last painting, and that was of her coffin. Mm-hmm. And he titled it, It Is Finished. It is finished. Uh, well, I'm sorry, that goes over Christ's... Uh, <laughs> that's, that's the... What is it? What is the... This is the last line for Well, for there's, Jesus, you know, there's... The thing about Ireland is there's this, this strength and this passion, but there's also this tragedy. And she's a classic case of the sadness and the tragedy. She's almost a Deirdre of the Sorrows kind of character. Yes, Deirdre of the Sorrows should be her name, for she's always grousing. Yes, as my father used to explain to me, I'm only half Irish, my father. He said, you know, the Irish use words for everything except expressing their true feelings. You know, they just, they just gush forth but you know all the what do we call it the the pain and the sadness um is it dorothy parker's poem i give her sadness and the gift of pain the new moon madness and the love of rain there's all this uh darkness along with i uh i was fascinated when i first started studying the brehan laws and the women apparently uh you know ordinary misogyny doesn't work for ireland uh in your book, you say only four witches burned. I that's had read right. only two. Only two. Well, that's even better See, than only and four. And you've got, you've got, you said about four. Now, I, the the whole notion that there wasn't that medieval Holocaust. No, they didn't have the burning times in Ireland. Wonder why they seem to be. What is it? They seem to be in love with the myth of woman, the goddess thing, but they didn't give them the vote till sixty-seven. I think that's true. Well, of course. It's interesting, but I said women were better off in ancient Ireland, even in ancient Christian Ireland. Uh, they were still very strong. Uh, and the church, it was a very different church, the original Irish church. Mm-hmm. And priests could marry. It was not the Roman Catholic Church. And I think things may have started going bad when it became the Roman Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. The, all the material I remember about how the pagan let's just call them the goddesses the the all yes. the pagan female images you know morphed into christian images and then yes. you become these these saints but they're all d- dolorous sad uh, you know weeping uh the christian um tear tears 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 everywhere where well, is the yeah what do you I think don't know. some of them are martyrs but bridget who is the most popular and most famous saint is not a martyr at all i believe she died of old age and lived quite happily you had some funny stuff here about Bridget, and I'm trying to find the place. I was just... Well, yes, she was an amazing brat, really, when you think. She gave her father's wealth away to the poor, of course, without asking his permission. Of course. She was... What's the word? Uh, she's kind of a trickster, kind of a she smarty. Is. Yeah. She is. She fooled... Now, I can't remember what, I guess it was the local king into giving her ever so much more land to build her church, her convent. She said, only as much as my cloak will cover. Mm. And he said, okay. And the cloak just kind of miraculously spread out. Oil and, yeah, it's like the bread and loaves and fishes sort of thing, yes. Now, I remember trying to write some essays once about the difference before and after Patrick. And you, you've got that here, sort of, you know, that's the demarcation. What's Patrick's dates? 500, 600? Yeah, about 500. And, you know, I always call him that old patriarch Patrick, but, 
I mean, he was a, a mixed, again, a, a mixed blessing. I kind of liked him, but I couldn't figure out, uh, you know, it doesn't seem to me as if, well, I guess I always think of Christianity as European Christianity. Well, you see, that's the difference, mm-hmm. that Irish Christianity was very different, because the, the Romans never got to Ireland. Ah, there you go. There's no place like Rome, yes. <laughs> what is that opera, my favorite opera, Norma? Well, no, no, she's she's a German. She's a German. I was thinking, you know, always there is a um, uh, Gaelic or a Celtic maiden resisting this um, horrible military Roman. And they did. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was thinking, did you see a recent television show about the, um, oh gosh, now it's gone, uh, uh, Bodica. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting, too, because they had one of her daughters survive to carry on the line and carry mm-hmm. on the tale. No one really knows what happened to Boudica uh, after she was defeated. The popular myth goes that she either took poison or fell on her sword. Mm-hmm. And, of course, we want her to have just just gone away to live to old age and, you know, maybe resist another time. I love this point you make. As you said, was it 697? They had to pass a law saying that women could no longer fight alone. Alongside the men. Yes, and what's so great about that is that tells you that women did fight alongside the men. Yeah, this, uh, uh, what is the word? Uh, not just, uh, again, you know, each group, um, Amazons, that kind of thing doesn't really apply here. I prefer warrior queen. Warrior oh, yes, queen warrior makes, queens. Makes sense. But, you know, what do you think about this myth reality thing? Do you think it's more uh, something that's in the Irish psyche, you know, or... And that it really doesn't exist anymore. I think of all the young women, all of the, uh, well, all the recent martyrs, for gosh sakes, you know. Yes. That are still doing, they're doing exactly what the woman in Odd Man Out does, you know. Yes, it doesn't end. It doesn't end. There's a new movie. I was watching a movie with Kate um, Blanchett the other night. The woman, I think they shot her in the face, you remember. The, The recent journalist, you know. Who was killed? She was a mother of several children or something. And I, I remember, um, uh, the movie's pretty grim, but, you know, she was just a, um, a freedom fighter. And she said to the guy when he came up to the car, she knew she was going to be assassinated. She said, please, not, not in the face, you know, because she didn't want her kids to see her. But, yes. Yeah, it's difficult to know, but there's obviously still out there and they're more than willing to go to jail. They all seem to be more, What's the word? Um, more heroic, more energetic. It's like, you know, you point out, what is it? Um, Yates was kind of conservative. He was. And, you know, but the it, women around him. But the women were firebrands. I think it's very interesting. You know, it, it doesn't make me any less in love with Yates. Um, but he was very conservative. He really didn't even quite approve of Maud Gunn's politics. He wrote a poem about it, that he felt she was wasting herself on the common man. I think he was a bit of a <laughs> snob, you know. <laughs> it sounds like Flaubert and George Sand, you know. I don't know, maybe literary men. Um, it's just so interesting that when it comes to uh, bravery and drama, uh, you know, the, the sexes really seem to be the reverse of what we <laughs> we would think, you know. The women are always on the front lines. I love this picture of Lady Gregory. She wasn't uh, quite able to compete with... Uh, no, she was not a raving beauty, and she was quite a bit older. Um, and there was definitely a rivalry between her and Maud Gunn, who was just absolutely gorgeous. 
Lady Gregory's stuff. I loved it in college, and you know the notion that she started the Abbey Theatre. Uh, oh yes. And she's one of those women who, of course, she gave all the credit to the men, and or they they took it. Well, she yes, Yates really took the credit for writing that play, Kathleen Lee Houlihan, and in her diary she says that really she wrote it, and she's always resented the fact that he took the credit. Yeah. The way she, she says, put it was, I wrote all but all of it. Yes. I was just looking at that line rather hard on me, not giving my name. <laughs> but I wrote all of all, all but all of it. It's, it's funny. Uh, I guess, what is that? Uh, my, my younger son one time, he said, oh, well, but you're used to it. Women are used to it. You know, we're used to losing. How awful. Isn't that awful? And I said, well, I said, you know, that doesn't mean we like it any better. Uh, it's getting... It's changing. Of course it's changing. Oh, of course it is. I, you know, we really didn't have a chance to do this, what I would call chronologically. I had, I think, one question for each one of these women here. Basically, you know, the transitions from goddesses to saints. Somebody once said to me, they were talking about Italy, and they said, oh, you know, uh, th th we didn't. There was no morphing. You know, the goddess simply became Mary, and you know. Well, she's that's a, true. Yeah, the Madonna that's is true. always. You know, it's just there she is. And the goddess Bridget became Saint Bridget. The uh, oh, what's the woman who wrote? Um, they televised it again recently. They let uh, um, Angelica Houston play the goddess. Oh, the Mists of Avalon. They did the Mists of Avalon, and it wasn't bad. I mean, I wanted more. But I it, wanted more, too. It wasn't so it was, bad. Visually, it was pretty, but it really wasn't Wasn't It wasn't the book. Well, what is it? It's this cup half full, a little bit of something, you know, something. I, I, I would just love to sit down and, you know, uh, take your book and cast this. We have mm. all these wonderful actresses, you know, and we'll just... Cast all these parts of, I don't know, who could play Maud Gunn? Oh, would have to be, of course, one of the new younger actresses. Um, oh, um, what is the name of that woman who was in The Girl with the Pearl Earring? She's very young, and she's real luminescently beautiful. Oh, but she's too young. Too young, you For think. Maud. Yes. No, I had thought of someone... Uh, I have a picture of Maud where the face is almost like a carving. The girl with the pearl is so soft, you know, with those fleshy lips and things. I don't know. This is this is. You see, it it tells us more about who we are, mm -hmm. who, who we would cast in these roles. You know, I want to play Mother Jones. I think I look the part. Oh, you'd be a wonderful Mother Jones. <laughs> I think I could do Mother Jones. I of course want to Queen Maeve. Oh, of course. Well, I did when I was. <laughs> I remember my first play. You know how that is, the the plays, um, all the fairy tales, you know, we all want to be these magical uh, uh, fairies in the Irish stories. But I was watching a movie the other day, It was a, it's called A Fairy Tale, and some of it works and some of it doesn't. But uh, it's getting harder and harder to figure out uh, what young people see when they look. Uh, everybody seems to want the women to be... Heroic, but in a style that strikes me as kind of masculine. You know, I I don't think you know a sword doesn't make you masculine. You know, I, that's what I liked about um, the recent one about Bodica was that yes. she yeah she didn't look like uh, Zena the warrior queen or no. anything. No, no, she no. just you know she just looked like this terrific um, woman. But never mind. 
I wish we had time for Lola Montez. Oh, yes, because we were talking on the phone about women who did what they had to to survive, mm -hmm. and she's such a perfect example of that. The actress thing, you know, where you reinvent yourself and give yourself a new name every yes. time you turn around. I love that. There were so many historical novels like that. Uh, I think of that, it's not just the trickster. Um, it's kind of a monkey mind. Um most of the movies have been about guys that imitated, but women are always in costume. They're always, yes. uh, what was it Arthur Schopenhauer said? It is no use trying to deceive them because they are the world's greatest deceivers. Well, I don't know if we're deceivers, but we're certainly actresses, and we are uh, indeed in costume. Yes. And we love costume, mm -hmm. and I wish men loved costume a little more. I do, too. I was The only thing that hurt my feelings in the women's movement was... You know, they didn't like all of the the um, masks, and they I frowned said, but on costume. Yes, they did. No, Nearly the second wave feminists. Then it's okay. You know, when it's theater, it's fine. I'm sorry, folks. We had a rush today because Tina Robbins got caught in traffic, and KPFA got blasted off the air, and now we're back. This is Jennifer Stone. We've been talking about Trina Robbins' book, Wild Irish Roses. And I think I can probably get some copies of it, and we'll give it away during the next marathon, if Wonderful, I can get her publisher yes. to give me copies. So then we'll have a chance to talk about it again. I think that's a better idea. Okay, thanks for coming in, Trina. And the book is Wild Irish Roses, Tales of Bridget's, Kathleen's, and Warrior Queens. And it's available in your bookstore. Till Thursday morning at 8.20, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. You are invited to attend a conversation with Danny Glover, 7.30 p.m. Saturday, March 18th, at the Berkeley Repertorial Theater. The benefit is for the Vista Community College and will help fund college programs in Vista's new building, 